Hasty Alliance, as my fiance Morgan Kell is head of state and need not leave this conference, Duchess Candace Leal, the wedding conference, 3058. You're listening to Wolfnet Radio, the show that respects security dogs with a passion. I'll be your host this evening, Matthew She's My Cherry Pie, since I just made a pie today, Bloodbath Barons. Co-host tonight, as always, Andrew, I don't remember this morning, Middle Crawl. Good evening, gentlemen. Evening. Man, Luke, you guys get there okay? Charles Gideon Dirks? Hello, everyone. And hopefully some others will join us. They're, uh, they're kicking tires and lighting fires already, so. This evening, we'll be talking quite a bit about our Florida trip and a lot of new updates, which are ridiculous to go through, but I digress. Anyways, battle report. Well, well, let's let, let's let the cat out of the bag right away. (laughs) So this is, this is recording number two for this time around. Um, Oh, that should be the title. Take number uh, two. Our esteemed colleague who edits. Mr. Aaron Kroll, uh, Mr. Editor, spaced off that uh, he needed to edit the the podcast, and we use a, a bot on uh, Discord to do the recordings. And apparently, you only get to keep that for a week, and, and it disappeared. Our illustrious technical individual um, let that happen. So here we are, take two. Um, maybe we'll <laughs> cover things better and i know we'll forget things because it's been now a month since florida right florida was uh, february february 24th i think so um yeah i had i had we had florida and then i had evercon after that um the the following weekend so we also have to explain uh there's a no op protocol uh, we, yeah, so we, the no-op protocol really came to light in Florida. It actually happened more than, I think it happened four, four, on four different games. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, so, so getting, getting to the airport, uh, Aaron and yeah. I had a great drive up. We, when Aaron and I usually ride somewhere with Tommy or whoever, wherever event we're going to, it we basically break out the the commander's edition and the update and the errata and we just start going through it because we have to remember how to play too. <laughs> and there's always some new mechanic somebody wants to run. So when it comes to, hey, did you ever think about this? Like, no, I haven't. Let's talk about it for the next four hours while we're getting up to Andrew. So that can be an illustrious day. And um Getting up to Andrew's always great because now all of a sudden he's getting exciting. <laughs> so we had yeah. we, we had we had lots to talk about. So we uh, I, I busted ass and got uh, twelve <laughs> boards. I think we sent yeah twelve. 
12 terrain boards. Uh, I sent the, the hills and the secondary terrain structures, uh, shipped that all to Florida to begin with. Um, after, after printing them, priming them, painting them, flocking them. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of work. Um, and was, we were we were carrying until what twenty mat twenty one play mats that we had 16. still left six well had sixteen in because we had room for thirty two I knew we weren't going to have that many but I didn't know how more would how many more would show up um and that's a lot of gear to carry so what well, we shipped we shipped about half of it well we had <laughs> you guys got here and we started going through bags because we we had two bags that were being checked and we had to get through weight and i think aaron came in at 47 pounds and yours mm -hmm. came in at 45 pounds headed to yeah, 43-ish i keep anyway, it nice or girlish character we we got underweight for for getting there uh we had all the recording equipment for doing the streaming went went along uh really no issues getting out there. Um, no, that was smooth. We even we even flight. tried to we even tried to pet the puppy, but the security guard said, "No, don't touch the dog." <laughs> like, yeah, oh, he's cute. It was, it like was, he's a mixer. There, there was some fun fun security issues that that everyone was playing through. Um, we had uh, great TSA agents. They actually had somewhat of a sense of humor and in. in uh, had some good laughs with some folks. Um, so we got there and we hook up an Uber and what was that cat's name? I forget his name. It wasn't Manuel. It was. Yeah, it was Manuel. Manuel. Yes, well, sir. Manuel. Manuel was, was the man. Manuel he, uh, shit. We said, <laughs> Manuel, can we give you some extra money to get us supper, booze, and go back and we, we can get dropped off to to go to the, the airbnb at, the house, <laughs> at our house he said yeah not a problem so i think yes. we had him tied up i think we had him tied up for about an hour yeah but I he mean, got us he got us to a liquor store and he got us through mcdonald's and he got us to the house and we, was... we we fought off the urge in his in his question of the gentleman's clubs he did point out more than a couple <laughs> <laughs> it's like no this is just business <laughs> We got we got shit to do in the morning. Well, we don't, we, we can't so spend that much money. We get to the Airbnb and Ray Arista is already there, and he waited on us what fifteen minutes, maybe. I think so, something like that. Well, he drove what four hours to get there. I think it was yeah four hours, a little over four hours, something like that. I think it depended upon the route that he took, but and he's always was, peach too. It was awesome having him there. <laughs> um, we had a great conversation Friday night, and we ran the gamut of a lot of things. And you know, oh, the geez, fireball you guys wouldn't shut up. And the fireball was flowing, and we I picked up, we picked up a twenty-four shot pack of a fireball, and we left with like eight. <laughs> well, but Ray had a bottle with, and then we got, we had Morgan and I had Jack and. Well, you guys finished off of what, all all but like 10 shots of a 175 of Jack? It was, yeah, we, I, I, I don't remember going to bed. I don't remember setting up my CPAP. I don't remember plugging in my phone. 
but the alarm was set. We got up, we showered. I think I said. I remember. Uh, I remember getting I the. Feel... Mo- I remember getting the motion and and saying, "Hey, it's time to go to bed," because it's like two. It was like three we... o'clock in the morning. Three? Yeah. It was three. three. We got to run. Morning. We got to run a damn tournament tomorrow. <laughs> I need at least four hours. <laughs> so. Uh, we got up. I showered first. Um, I think I said I and feel he, a thousand times better. And you don't <laughs> remember it. A hundred times, and I don't remember taking the shower. Um, I'm you blaming. Guys... I'm blaming the hangover for the the seven time restart for trying to get the brackets and the software set up. That was a kind of that was the worst part about the tournament. But we got that out of the way. I think the um, root cause of that though was not everybody signing into the handwritten sign-in roster at the beginning. Then because we knew we were off by that, and then also then we knew we were short when finally we got everybody's count correct, and then we threw was, me into the mix because there was a um, couple of things. Yeah. There was a couple of things that happened, but it uh, we live we live and learn, and we got the tournament kicked off, and once we had it kicked off, it went. It went swimmingly. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the Florida folks that came out to play. Um, to say that they were enthusiastic and excited to be playing would be an understatement. Um, we had people Jason, coming up shaking hands before we even knew what was going on. And yeah, oh, and and we rolled up in the car with Ray, and there were people, or like ten people in the parking lot, just like staring at us as we drove up. <laughs> Like, look at like look, look at a clown car with all those big guys in it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool. I mean, there was people standing outside the store waiting to waiting to go in and play BattleTech. So um, they weren't running this time; they were basking in the Florida sun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jason Acker with Critical Hits Games has a beautiful store, and he did a fantastic job of hosting us. Um, yeah, I mean, we started at we we had to hold off until about eleven. We had an individual that was playing mm-hmm. that was running a little late, so we held out for him. And we had I one that had got, car trouble that never made it. It was from Alabama, I think. Um, but you know, Chard, some Chard, you Chard, Chard got stuck in Texas due to snow because they don't know how to handle snow in Texas. Um, I, I can vouch for that. They shut down military bases when you're mobilizing because of the snow. That's and awesome. It's like, you guys need to make sure you're in four-wheel drive, seatbelts, heaters on. I'm like, we're from Iowa. There's not even an inch of snow on the ground. It's a, it's a dusting. We'll be fine. We're on sand. <laughs> <laughs> um, we started at 11. We got five rounds in. We finished at 830. Um. Kind of, we kind of pushed a little bit through it, but it was, it went extremely well. Acker set us up with a great uh, audio room uh, that Aaron got to uh, run the gamut all day long. So um, it was fun, like having them finish early or late, and then seeing how things turned out from you know the large gaming area compared to the the prime video streaming audio room Which, that was all, those, all five all five of those videos on our youtube channel um we did have so, some trouble with some internet off the bat but uh i think that was just signal and uh connectivity so got, nothing that's got sorted out not too bad 
the 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 fun thing for me was is the the lists in Florida were very different than what we have seen or what we're used to playing up here. Um, but it was it was fun because it actually they all fit. There was there was really no lists that were wildly out of Unorthodox. whack or you know that it was a, a a curb stomping list or anything like that. Every list uh, had its unique qualities to it, and some people were uh, better at getting the most out of their list than others. But like all tournaments, everyone saw something, or they figured out a mechanic that were they. Everyone said, "Hey, I'm going back to fix this." or I need to add this unit. I got to take this one out and put that one back in. Um, you're always learning something and you're always going to make a tweak here or a tweak there to uh, make your make your thing work a little bit better, which part of the fun, right? And we had some brand new players that hadn't had much time under the dice of um, Alpha Strike. And we've had you know, plenty of veterans that... Uh, had plenty yeah, of games I mean, under the belt. Go, I mean, a, shout, gambit. a shout out to Bradley uh, Prophet, and uh, he he ran his crew out of St. Petersburg through. I think they had four or five sessions of getting used to playing the scenarios and playing Alpha Strike. So uh, a lot of those guys showed up, and you know they weren't surprised by anything too terribly bad. Uh, we had a group come in from Orlando. Um, that was, they were a great group there too. Uh, the biggest, you know, the most exciting takeaway there was, is uh, people asking questions about, hey, how do we run this? And I believe there is various different cons that are coming up in the Florida area. And I think there's three 350 tournaments being run from now until October. So it was if people are going to go out and run the tournament we're doing something right so um we're going to chalk that up to a good thing and yes. it's very exciting to see people um engaging in um this is what we're getting used to and now we want to start running our own locally like great what do you want what do you need and then and we just give them a list of this is what we're using, this is the equipment, this is how you're making your terrain, videos whatever you can to, do. Videos to where how how to make the terrain. Um, again, all of that stuff is on our YouTube channel. Um, Wolfstragoons.com has uh, information on the rules and errata and other resources for 350. Uh, it's it's always. It, it, I will always keep that site most up to date with new verbiage or new text or anything like that. So um, now when you guys talk about like the, the lists, um, what, because you said it's, it, you know, it was a kind of a different approach. What, like, what were you seeing? Like just like people playing to like all angles or, People just uh, because I know for, for those of you who maybe haven't watched uh, our YouTube videos of stuff uh, like Battle Barn and all of that, um, 
because there's a lot of well, a lot of transports, a lot of infantry, a lot of TMM. I feel like is what what we kind of run into a lot. But what what were they running down there? It lots of uh, VTOLs and mixes mixes of infantry combined arms. The, I I felt there wasn't as much min maxing happening there. Um, yeah, the, the Florida group felt like they stayed a lot truer to their factions and their era, which you know we've we've been talking back and forth a bit about that as well. Um, that I really I'm really starting to think that you know faction and era will align the lists a lot better where you're not going to have the curb stomping lists that we see every once in a while. Um, if you've got to stay to a faction in an era, I believe, I truly believe the lists will kind of balance themselves out a little bit better. Um, I've been playing around with making lists that are faction and era specific and it's, it's a lot, it, it's a lot more difficult to, get the things accomplished when you don't have the gamut of best choices. Um, your 20 inch movers are a lot less. <laughs> so. And um, joining us now, we have Aaron damn toothbrush, the cro the coach crawl. Hi everybody. Glad for oh, you to join us. You're tuned. All right. I'm tuned. I'm tuned oh, up. Oh, goody. <laughs> For good cause. All right. Um, so we're we're talking about Florida. Uh, oh. We talked about how we got there. We kind of uh, ran over Friday night and the debacle that that turned into. Did, and... you, did you guys give uh, the precursor of why <laughs> we're recording tonight? <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Okay. We, we, we have given the, this is the take two uh, episode. So you my, take a bow. my bad, everybody. <laughs> that'll that'll be. We kind of decided that'll be the title of the show. Take two. Um, so we are <laughs> take we're, two. We're call at, me in the morning. <laughs> we're it, we were talking about uh, being at critical hits. Uh, we kind of covered the streaming. You may want to edit some of this out, Aaron. Um, we were talking about lists and what we found unique. Uh, and what was different than what we normally see. Uh, if there's anything you want to add there now that, so now that coach has joined us, you know, we've, we've been talking about the streaming and we've, we've talked about, you know, some of the things that we saw that were different in lists. Um, you know, that was over a month ago now, but what do you remember? And, and what were some of the things that stood out to you? Um, one of the again just to reiterate one of the and maybe this has been mentioned before but one of the big things was all the lists were some of the most well-rounded lists i've ever seen at a tournament and it may maybe not that's not the way to put it everyone brought a well-rounded list there wasn't the min maxing is kind of what right there that's that's was the biggest thing i noticed was the min maxing wasn't there. It was like you just said, things were very well thought out and well rounded for trying to cover the scenarios. Like for yeah. instance, 
for example, people had VA and transports. They had some VTOLs. They had some fast, light, medium movers. They had some jump strong. They had some beefy assault mechs with standard engines. Um, we saw, I, I think we saw a lot more heavy stuff. We saw non-mech lists. Yeah. And, well, we've, we've seen that before, too. This, this may be something interesting because we're re-recording what we talked about before, but I don't think I mentioned this uh, last time we talked, was um, everyone had some sort of a 200 for each scenario. And that is something that, you know, we've run plenty of tournaments where... Uh, you know, two or three players that have gone, that are veterans, we call quote-unquote veterans, that are min-maxing for um, uh, uh, top-of-the-shelf, you know, this is going to break the game kind of a thing. But everyone else had very rounded lists. This is the first tournament where we've seen where everyone brought, everyone had an assault. Everyone had two heavies. Three mediums, uh, two lights. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm spitballing here, but uh, VTOLs. Everyone had some sort of combined arms, and uh, it was it was kind of nice to see throughout the tables. Like, okay, people are getting it right. Yep, they're they're understanding one that all these other combined arm arms units. Uh, infantry battle armor vehicles vetoes they can serve a purpose on the battlefield and two they're getting that combining all the assets of battletech helps you win objectives that was my biggest takeaway from florida was they got it they they got what we're trying to go for we we saw a lot of those gems in almost every list Mm-hmm. The, the the stealth BA, the uh, indirect fire eights, um, the some jump strong units, some standard engine units, some. Well, to uh, be honest, with, yeah. To be honest with you, you know, this is one of the things because we've we have spent a lot of time this week, the the last couple weeks now, um really kicking around the ideas for a sixth scenario. And we've ran the gamut of a lot of different things. And it's and tough. It's tough it's, trying to find something different. It's been it's been difficult, but through the process, I'm really starting to think and wonder whether implementing faction and era wouldn't take care of it for us right um by not being able to have the gamut of all the good shit all the time because i've been i've been building lists the last week faction and era specific and it's been a lot it's been very difficult to picture based on what i know and what i'm building now of how just how well those things will work in a scenario all right, I'm I'm starting to kind of pick up a a theme here. Would you make a six scenario just straight up 
a similar scenario, but has to be faction era specific of what you choose? No, I, I'm just wondering whether instead of putting the time into a sixth scenario, whether we should put the time into polishing up and getting Charles's faction and era rules cleaned up and put them out as an option for people to use. It's it, we, we still aren't in the place for master unit list to make it easy. Um, right. I've, I've got a couple of thoughts there um, this today that I've been brainstorming that I think would probably work fairly straightforward as far as a search would go that on the alpha strike builder, right? If you put two, two drop down boxes in the top right corner, one for faction and one for era, you should be able to, when you put a mech in, have that mech go through a search and say, does this fit the faction of fed sons? And if it does, put a green check. If it doesn't, put a red X. Put a put another one there for era. And if it matches an era, put a green X or a red check. And um, that would and that would make it easy for us to validate it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if we can get that, I don't want to have to search through that, all kinds of shit to ver- verify a list. Yeah, I mean, if you could get that and have that print off on the on the cover page of MUL. All of a sudden, running faction and eras become Simple. much more straightforward, and I really think that would add a very interesting dynamic to what we've been doing. Because, yeah, go ahead. Well, I I agree with everything you just said, but but I heard there's a but. Well, <laughs> no, the but is everybody got one. The but is with the sixth scenario, right? Um, we have been as Wolfnet talking a lot. Okay. Domination capture the flag and bunkers rampage. Yeah. Rampage are very fast centric. You got to have fast to to get it done. Getting to your opponent's side of the, the battlefield and getting things taken, uh, is, is one of the major objectives. Stand up fight. And King of the Hill are very heavy. Uh, bring the heavy stuff, you know, uh, and, and last, and and last a while. Uh, and I never, and Andrew kept harping on this. I never understood what you actually meant until like a month ago. You're like the random roll. You're like you never tied it to the random roll, right? You're like, well, they could just punt on two scenarios. I'm like, yeah, but they're punting on two scenarios. It never clicked until you said, yeah, but it's in their interest because three of the five scenarios are fast. And then I went, oh, that's what you mean. So when you randomly roll a scenario for the round. There's a higher percentage. It's it's not equal weighted between a fast uh, objective point and and a this. And that's when I discovered, okay, we do need a sixth scenario. Like we we should have a sixth scenario. That... Jesus, I gotta I gotta get better about this explaining shit. I, and I, I, I know I you were driving me bananas. I'm like, how do you not see this? Well, that makes sense. You okay, you've been talking sense. about it for a year, and I'm like, I don't I don't <laughs> understand where you're getting at here. And you're like, 
you you just worded it wrong and it, it you finally worded it correctly and then it snapped in my head i was like oh maybe, you're talking about maybe you were sober enough to understand it i don't know you, or, you're, you're, or it was friday night when you were drunk enough where you stopped could, thinking and then it went it could oh. be either way it could be either way <laughs> you you cousins still need to work on it just it yeah, just it's a family thing it's a family it's thing like, the rest of it. tracking on this. It snapped in my brain, realizing like, okay, like a rubber band. There's, there's like a point two five percent percentage chance that's just floating out in the air right there, and it's all going towards the fast up. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So recently, we have been coming up with a bunch of six scenarios that rely heavily on heavy mechs, this and that, and I think. We're trying I think to, we've anyway. we've come up with with a good one. We're we've gonna, narrowed narrowed a couple down. We're gonna play test this though. So the shit out of them. We're not just gonna yeah. implement them fast. We're not like Catalyst Game Labs. We don't just oh. throw fucking shit out there. We like to play test stuff. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna toss that softball that way. And uh, well, um, okay. Let's let's bring up an example. Right, because this I ran I ran Let's, into this I ran into this this afternoon. Pull that elephant out of that big rain. I had a crusader that was behind Sean's gargoyle in a game that we had, and I was in his rear arc, but we were in base contact. If I do a physical attack, how does that work now? It's it's physical attack, right? It's a it's one sided, but. It's it's a one d six roll for the damage, but the way the rules are written now is plus, I would have to roll d six, another set of dice for that extra point of damage in the yeah. rear, which yeah. I don't think should be the case in a physical. No, attack. it's only a weapons attack only, isn't it? Right. It is not written that way currently. Mm. That is a conversation that we've been having in the Discord, and Gold actually he and I were on the same page and he put out, it's actually pinned in that, in that channel, I think 350 playtest. Um, let me quickly. See God, he's not going to fit in the chat room anymore. Now after that ego, beast. no, it's uh, gold. <laughs> gold has some, gold has some good, good deals. Gold does um, work, man. Yeah, we all do. Gold does work. I'm going to give my shout out right now to gold. I like him on spreadsheets better though. <laughs> How, how do you prefer your gold? Uh, spreadsheets, please. Here's what he had for a suggestion for the multiple, multiple attack. Anytime a unit attacks a target with a weapon attack, separate attack rolls are made for each point of damage the unit would deliver at that range. That was part of the conversation of that with the multiple attack roll that was added in the errata, that people were starting to make the mistake of physical attacks, that they were rolling multiple die for the physical attack damage as well. That clears that up. But I think along with this, with a weapon attack, should also be the additional die for when in the rear. Otherwise, the extra point is applied on success. Something to that effect. I've had conversations with Nikestrel. 
if I don't think we've ever shouted out Joshua before, but oh, dude, we have. dude is man. Talk about hurting cats, right? <laughs> there is, there is so much stuff. And I've had this conversation with him about writing our 350 rules and kind of, there's the spirit of the rule and then there's the letter of the rule and then there's the rules lawyers. And it's, you just want to pull your hair out sometimes on it. You understand the rule, but just because it doesn't say you're going to, you're going to lose yourself in that. Um, I recently had a conversation, somebody, I, I won't name his name, but he'll know, he'll know who he is. Um, <laughs> I had the, he, he brought up the question of, can my, can my battle armor mount my opponent's Omni? Only and I'm like, swarm well, technically that would be a swarm attack, so it would be covered in the attack. <clears throat> but, but the rules as written do not make a statement anywhere of friendly unit. But you know the funny part about that, right? Dismounting happens at the end of the transport's movement phase, and it is. The transport that decides them dismounting. Right. right. So if so, you're going to mount somebody, you're giving them a meat shield. It, well, right? Are you going to add I, armor to your enemy mech? Well, Maybe? well, I mean, it it boil it it's it's a difference between classic, it, it's a difference between classic and alpha strike, right? Because in classic, if you have a successful swarm attack, you remain on the mech for the next round's movement and you make a roll to stay on right let's just say that i feel like we're making the kestrel's job harder always but at the same time i feel like there's a lot of good stuff coming from our group that he's like oh shit yeah there should be a clarification in there yes there should be this you know that okay. that, that kind of comment reminds me of you know the rule book doesn't tell me I can't urinate on the board either for the game. So what's in yeah. the best interest of the game? There's, what it's what I have said in our 350 play test as well that when you ask the question, right? Does it the question benefit you not, or the game? It, it should not be a question of clarification for a gimmick or something that you think you can one up a player on the question should be around hey this rule is amb ambiguous what is the correct way it should be you know For what's everyone. the right way to interpret this to make the game better not for you to have a gimmick or not for you to have a thing over your opponent or just to win the next fucking match the f everything should be about how do we make our game better and that's where I start to pull my hair out and sometimes get really <laughs> short with people. And I apologize. It's just, and it's it, tough when it you happens. get short because you're really tall. It, it happens. And <laughs> I, I will apologize to those that, that have been on the receiving end of that, or, you know, the people have had to read like everyone likes to poke me about bases. I think that was the worst one out of the whole thing. Um, it never gets old. It doesn't, but it's 
but I get it now. It's, it's cute. It's funny. But that that is always the thing that whenever we have a question come up, it's never about how do I one up my opponent. It's how do I make the game better? And if there's a rule that you're finding a gimmick on or you think that you've got something that you can do one up on your opponent, you are hurting the game because when you go to the table and you have this thing that can be worded or interpreted differently than the person across the table from you, you're making a bad experience. That person is not going to want to come back to the table the next time that you guys are holding an event because these jack wagons are finding nuanced things in the rule book that if you look at it sideways through a parabolic mirror, you could get to the thing that they want to do. That's wrong. That's not good for the game. And shame on you. It, it's that's being a dick. And rule one <laughs> is don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be Have a dick, guys. Fun, but don't be a dick. See, right. I like I it love, when players. I'm off, I'm off the soapbox. I'm sorry. All right, we put it underneath the shelf. <laughs> it's close by so i can get back on it again <laughs> <laughs> like people take turns um and i i, I could agree with that like when i'm playing um if if i have a question even even if i'm supposed to know it's just like oh this isn't this isn't spelled out and i don't know the interpretation i don't know what i should be doing with that potential it's like I'm going to play it the way we think it should be played and ask the opponent too. Like, do you think this is legit? And if they say no, I'm not going to do it that way. But after the game, we're going to discuss it and talk to judges or pull the judge. If I don't think I'm going to have to want to waste time. It's like, if, if I can't, if I can't get the game, if I don't think it's going to benefit the game, I won't bring it up. But if I think it's going to benefit the game where I think I'm, helping you're on to something or or i have to i have to correct myself and say i don't remember the rule could the judge remind me so i don't mf so i don't muff the other guys's game up because i don't want to be that guy it's like what's the rule so i don't take advantage of the of the of the of the game you know well, what is what is the ruling and that helps where it's like that's okay that's the way it's supposed to be okay i was just clarifying or that that's the way it's supposed to be played. Okay. Because some people have that question of me bringing this up. Is it going to be dickish? <laughs> well, and I think, I think beyond that too, because, um, you know, there's not always a judge, you know, right. if, you, if you're, if you're just playing 350 for a pickup game, um, it's kind of along the lines of it's kind of a uh, uh, an unwritten rule in like a lot of role play systems and stuff of if you're not sure what the rule is, just come to a consensus and carry on yep. and then figure it out afterwards. Um, where, you know, in role playing systems and stuff, you have a game master who gets to, you know, be the arbiter of all those things. But if, if you're at the table and you're like, oh, this is the thing I want to do. And the other person like, you know, is like, what, you know? is probably a sign that that's not the the road to go down you know because <laughs> at the end of the day winning is fun but it's more fun to be able to play that person again later yes 
I'm you know, sure that they want to come back. It, well, exactly, that's, exactly, that's yeah. And yeah. You burn, nope. you burn, you burn them. Yeah, you get one win. But if you uh, play them straight and play, you know, play to have a good time, you can have lots of victories over time with those people. So yeah. And to piggyback that, if if I ever play in a tournament, it's usually because we're, we've got an odd number. And I don't really want to play because I don't want to take up <clears throat> a spot where somebody else can. I'll play, but I'm not going to go out of my way to win. It's like, it sometimes it's actually more fun to teach. Like you have some newer players and they're totally not getting a process or they need a little help or they have questions. It's a great time to play it out, explain things, not take up too much time, but just run through it and let them, you know, benefit, let them grow through the game. That's, that's more fun than winning it all. As a, as I keep telling myself now, and I, and I keep telling my daughter who, who loves playing that it's, it's fun to win, but, you need to find the joy in the fact that you get to do this. You got the opportunity, you had the time, you have the money to be able to go and enjoy a couple hours of rolling dice and partaking in this thing that, that we enjoy. Now, I am also still having to work at that as well because there has been games that I've been curb stomped and kind of get a bad yeah. attitude about it but <laughs> i'm working at it it's that that's what i'm trying i mean i love running tournaments um you guys give me a hard time that i don't play as often as i should and you're absolutely correct yeah. but i have a lot of fun and enjoyment in seeing people play participate and get joy out of the thing we've created I knew um, you were a facilitator. Bah. That's 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 my thing. <laughs> so, um, just remember, hey, that that person across the table from you is a person. They may not be as heavily invested in the game as you are. Take the opportunity to teach. Take the opportunity to make sure that that person enjoys the experience enough that they want to come back. Don't be a dick and drive people away from the game there that was by the way a really really odd tangent that did not come from florida or any place else that was <laughs> an organic conversation um organic soapbox number two organic soapbox number <laughs> organic or, or organic soap only uh no yeah well, i was just gonna say yeah because so coach <laughs> did the streaming and he had some, it was interesting from what I understand. Yeah, we, we, the last game, the championship game, Aaron's back now, so he can, hold on, Aaron's back now, so we can talk about you're, the no, you're on the, you're no, on the fryer, our no op rule. <laughs> um, oh. We, we did, we did talk about that on take one. And mm -hmm. I really want to make sure that we cover that in take two as well. Sure. Um, and I think it's a good segue from the soapbox we just came off of to um, 
a, a rule thing that that we've put into place to reinforce what we're trying to do with 350. So you're oh, set the up no op, what we affectionately call no op protocol uh, or no op uh, is basically when in a 350 game you destroy your entire opponent's forces. And uh, some people may go into 350 going, I'm just going to bring big stuff and kill everything. And then I win the game. Well, the 350 is focused on objective points. Objective points are taken by taking objectives, which is the point of the game. Our whole competitive format is based on not who can bring the best, biggest, and baddest stuff. It is who can strategize to take objectives quickest, fastest, and 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 most with efficient. the least most efficiently. Most but it did come up a lot of times where I did destroy my entire force. I should be rewarded for that. And a lot of people made the assumption that, well, if I killed everything, I should be able to take all the objectives myself. And while in some certain instances, yes. I mean, if you control the battlefield, then yes, you have all the objectives. In another field, it is maybe this is a time-sensitive mission, and whoever got their job done the most efficient wins. And that's the road we decided to take because one... If you're just if you're just gonna go well, if I can kill everything and win the game, then your your choices of force lists, units taken, and the and essentially you, the fun how, fun part of three fifty, and how you how you play the scenario, and how you play the scenario is gone. So while we don't want people to just destroy everything, we also acknowledge that. If you do destroy the entire force, you should be rewarded. So the no-op protocol states that if there are no opposing forces in the end phase, the player with units left on the field is awarded one objective point. And the game ends, obviously. The trick is, is if your opponent scored three objectives and you only scored one objective and you destroy your opponent's forces, you, have two. You, only, you only get one plus one objective. So, again, depending on the scenario. If it's stand-up fight, obviously you win. But on all other objectives, your opponent, even though he doesn't have any forces left, will win the game because he achieved the mission of the scenario better than you did. Now, I know some people have a hard time kind of wrapping this around. Like, well, I killed everything. I did. I should be able to just go over and kill all their bunkers. I'm like, well, you don't... It's one of those things that, that we've tried very hard to rationalize. And one of the things is... That's not your mission. Your mission is to achieve the objectives. It's not to kill the other person's force. Well, uh, let's you let's don't call know it. it. Yeah, let's call it out. The big, the biggest scenario, the the, the scenario or the the yeah, the mission that this plays the biggest one too is rampage, the bunkers, right? Right. Instead of 
taking a force where you can where you from turn one are maneuvering and working towards taking out a bunker if you take your stand-up fight list and just stand in front of your three bunkers to defend while you will kill your opponents as they come into your field of area you're still not achieving the objective that was set forth to you right so we're giving i mean it's still if that's what you want to do i guess that's that's how you one can my, you can do the one, scenario how you feel you want to but if your opponent is able to score more objectives than you while trying to just eliminate them from the board it's a tactic that's either going to win or lose right i had that exact example with one of my games <clears throat> you know we both set to go to each other's bunkers with BA and transports, they all got obliterated. And, you know, some of us may have gotten some in to blow the bunker, but there's still, you know, two more left. So then what's your next, you know, avenue of approach? Well, you start shooting the bunkers through the doorways with your mechs or vehicles. Which, which is a viable way of achieving the bunker scenario. When this my idea. BA and transports have been destroyed, I've won games shooting through the bunker doors. That's a great viable option. It takes maybe a hair more time, but that's where you have to fill out your rosters of units to be able to achieve that and be multitasking or multi-mission capable. Hey, a uh, cat out of the bag or, you know, a point of interest, especially on the back two bunkers. Right, when your BA lands in the wedge, shoot the other door. Even if you don't have stuff over there, shoot the other door while you're waiting to go in. Those are a point or two that may count to your to to your objective win. Um, we because... had we had three we had three in Florida, yeah. three games on rampage that were decided by four damage points or less. Including mine. For the, for the win. You were one of them. It makes a big difference. If you if you both You're destroy muted, No, you I'm both, not. If you oh, both you destroy a bunker each and I start doing more damage to other bunkers, but I don't destroy them, that still points towards bunker damage. Yep. And that can be uh, that can what? be a tip that can be a tipping point. What a lot of people don't realize is that I, I think a lot of people realize this, but but for those of you who are thinking, I'm just going to destroy everything and I should win. Um, that may be right. You, you may you, be you may destroy your entire opponent's army before they even score an objective point and before you even score an objective point and you get the win. But you only get one objective point. You're not going to win the, the war. The 350 is centered around a tournament format. So there are multiple rounds of games being played that are all centered around objectives. If you score a win and one objective, you're going to lose. Yeah, you need to have a lot of objectives. Because the, the tiebreaker and the ranking system goes wins, and then it goes objectives. 
So the person that's actually achieving his objectives and winning are going to be ranked higher than you are. It and and something else that people need to remember, especially in a five round tournament, just because you lost the first round does not mean you're out of the tournament. Just because you lost the second round does not mean you're out of the tournament. It's, that is correct. Math becomes more difficult, but it all also plays out of how those people above you fare. Because if somebody right. loses, you're back in the running. And you may face the most difficult player in the tournament the first round. Today on the March Madness, I heard the common turn strength of schedule. And that is huge, too, because when you look at the, the findings, the each round, after the first, you start seeing that strength of schedule. You see that as, as well as the other players do or not as well as the other players do, you see how you rank between them as you develop those different rounds that's that's that that lets you know that oh a strength of schedule i had a high decimal of like 0.75 that's huge instead you of like, you have a 0.75 strength schedule you played literally everyone who's won the top two yeah. the top three players yep right yeah so you can take pride in that that you're doing something right even if you even if even if I as a player would lose all my games, if I still have a high schedule of strength or strength of schedule, it still means I'm 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 battling the toughest players. And that's okay. Being okay is fun. <laughs> Basically the no op protocol is there for to reward players for killing all of their opponents' forces, but it does not ensure you a win. I want to make that, that point clear um, because in Florida, it came down to the last table. It it was... Championship it was game. A, it was, it was a championship game. It was a deciding factor. And uh, we had a little comp... Uh, little, little miscommunication on rules and uh, Tom Keegan uh, won the game because he went for the objectives. Not saying Bradley didn't. Bradley went for the objectives, but he got caught in a bind with his list that once his transports and his infantry and his battle armor were gone, he was left with a couple of VTOLs, some really fucking sweet VTOLs, VTOLs, I will say. Not VTOLs. <laughs> but it it forced the, the, the strategy of the game changed where he had to kill Tom's mechs before he could kill his bunkers and it just and ended up where objectively Tom won because he took, he did more damage to the bunkers than Bradley did. And it was, but Bradley killed all of Tom's forces, but <laughs> Tom successfully completed more of the objectives than Bradley did. And that's the point of the game objectives. Tom, Tom went into that game with just mechs, right? He didn't have any battle armor. Um, surveyed the field, did some battle reports, and knew what Brad's list was. And he had two roads to go, he could go. He could go either 
Okay, I'm gonna bring a couple mechs, some transports, some battle armor, this and that. Or I can just bring everything I can to try to kill his transports, his battle armor, and then try to kill his VTOLs, which Brad's VTOLs were a very high pilot skill. They were sharpshooters. They were Nicolas Cage and fucking Apache helicopters. That's what they were. Firebirds. But I've got a pocket full of quarters. <laughs> exactly. But once Tom threw his entire list at basically the transports and battle armor, he wasn't shooting at the VTOLs. He was going for the objectives after that. So it was a very, it was a three-staged, uh, you know, strategic plan that Tom had. And if one thing went wrong, Tom's plan would have went kaput. But he focus-fired got rid of the transports, got rid of what was hit, what to him was his high-priority targets. And then the, the, the momentum changed to Brad, where he had to kill mechs in order to stop them from then advancing and killing uh, the bunkers. So it was a very ebb-and-flow game. Excellent game. One of the best... Uh, uh, bunkers games I think we've ever recorded just because of the flip of the battlefield, right? Bradley had Tom on his heels and then all of a sudden it flipped in a round and then all of a sudden Brad had to play defense and he only had two VTOLs left, or VTOL and, and some other stuff left, but uh, that's that's how quickly that can change and if you kill everything that's fine, good for you, but did you achieve any objectives on the other side of the table? And he I, didn't. I think we so, saw that a lot. I think we saw that a lot in Florida where the tables turned. I know I had a few games too where it was being on the offensive, being cautious. But then all of a sudden you're on defensive because the other guy is gunning for you. It was see, a lot of a lot of flip-flop um, strategy. Mid -game. That, Do you that's, think that's a... Uh, oh, go ahead, Charles. Oh, do you think that's a uh, uh, like a side effect of uh, like the well-roundedness of lists? You know, because I I wonder a lot of the lists that I've played against and seen it are very much I'm going 100% offensive or I'm going 100% defensive. So if people are bringing stuff that's a little more balanced out, where then it turns into this back and forth tug of war game because it's not a well the entire battle happens on your side of the table because i brought all of my super offensive you know i brought all my my hovers and my vtols with all my battle armor and infantry and i'm on your side of the table turn one you know you think that that was a part of it or absolutely um my game was caesar who ran a comstar list with assault mediums for mechs and then VTOLs and BA or infantry. He ran his VTOLs in with infantry, dropped them. I started picking them off. He killed my BA. I had fast movers and jump strong. And we basically circled the battlefield on um, three sides, not going anywhere and just picking each other off. And it was a stand-up fight, too. We knew anybody that went in the middle was going to be a no man's land and get it destroyed. So it was cautious, very flanking back and forth. 
and then somebody made a mistake or somebody got a good roll and then it was over and then it went to time I'll agree with Charles in that there were so many well-rounded lists that, and it wasn't just Tom and Brad's game. Uh, strategic value switched multiple times in almost every stream game we had. Just because, one, maybe somebody put a terrain in the wrong place, or somebody uh, made a bad move, or... It's somebody, not always some, dice. I will say it's not always dice. Sometimes it is dice. I've seen it multiple times, especially in Florida, where it was like, oh my goodness, dice re, dice was the problem there. But that, That's what won my game, was a headshot on a Shadowhawk. Yeah, it, and again, that's where dice come in, but a lot of times it's like, ooh, he put that terrain in the wrong spot. Or... or in the right uh, spot. He moved a piece thinking his opponent was going to do this, and he didn't do that, and he's like, uh-oh. And that's what I love about the 350 is you bring your list. It's a good list. It's all well-rounded list, but it does come down to strategy. It, it 100% comes down to terrain placement, strategy, and and how you conduct the game. You can take dice out of the game. You can in this. If you plan your list correctly, you play the terrain correctly, and your strategy is sound, you can taste you can take dice out of the game. You could call it a multifaceted strategy game. But dice are always gonna be the outlier. And that's what's that's what's great about every war game is dice can you know what? Sometimes a guy's gonna roll three box cars in a row. Never seen it. I've seen twice in a row, which sucks. But it is possible. And and then but you can still switch your strategy to still win the game. I mean I I, I don't think it's a it's not a dice all be all game. I I equated that to MMA fighters, right? When you watch MMA, a guy can be getting his ass kicked. And if they go on the ground and the aggressor slips he doesn't he, he's not paying attention and all of a sudden that guy's able to get a leg or an, an, arm, arm, an arm bar and, and get him locked up and and have him tap out he's he kept his head in the game and he he attacked when he had his opening 350 is no different you're gonna lose units things are gonna go sideways adapt and overcome right Correct. Sometimes you're going to be successful. Sometimes you're not. And a lot of times, yeah, exactly. Waiting for your opponent to make that mistake can be huge. Or, like you said, everything can go south, but you get an opportunity where you can make a a tip in the scale. It'll win you the game. Yeah. I go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just I just want to take this opportunity first of all to thank Tom and Brad for being phenomenal last table stream opponents because I know some things went wrong and uh, the correct judgment was made at the end and one player thought it was one way and the other player thought it was the other way but I just want to thank 
if I could bottle their sportsmanship up and just bring it to every tournament, <laughs> I would love to do that because the two of them were just fantastic. Um, once the rules were explained and this and that, everyone got it, but it was just Brad lost and Tom won, but it, the graciousness of both of them, I just wish I could just siphon it out and just have everyone at every tournament take a shot of that sportsmanship were, because it was awesome. They showed it at the leader table, but yes. everyone, everyone at everyone at the Florida event were fantastic players, gracious individuals, and that is what made that event as successful as it was. We had great turnout, but we had better people. And those people are, we had, we had multiple groups come together and I saw numbers being exchanged and they're going to be getting together. Florida is like I said, in the first take battle tech is alive and well in Florida, and it's going to continue to get better. I personally questioned the idea of literally buying a plane ticket, flying to Florida, flying back and literally just being a 36 hour trip. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. I want. I. I personally just want to thank everyone that was there because you guys probably did more for us than we did for you. Um, to see that happen for us, and the labors that we've gone through for the last three and a half, four years, come to fruition in a, an amazing tournament. Everyone had a great time. Uh, Prize support was great. People were awesome. It was just, this is what we envisioned a long time ago. <laughs> we we had conversations between, oh, should we cap it at 12? I don't think we can get more than 12. I, I don't know. We're like, oh, maybe, maybe 16. Maybe 16, just to hedge our bets. And uh, to have 24 people come from literally all over Florida and just have fun. Playing competitive Battletech. It was, oh man, I'm still jonesing a month later <laughs> because what we've done has turned into something beautiful and this can happen everywhere. That's, that's what we've okay. always wanted for this whole thing. We, we've, had, we've had some other opportunities that have come up or not other opportunities, but there's things that have come up and... We'll be honest, and I think we can all agree. I think the biggest barrier to this is probably the terrain. Um, That's you, a lot of shit to, to build. You have to have the terrain to to do it successfully. Um, and and something else to keep in mind, you know, when we built, or when we conceived the 350. We conceived the 350 based on our experiences at big conventions. When you look over the game hall. And you see War Machines, and you see War Mahord, and you see Space Hulk, and you see 40K, Age of Sigmar. Blood they have Bowl, X-Wing, Legion. Keep going, right? They have uh, beautiful uh, models. They have beautiful models. They have beautiful 3D terrain. People want to go look at those games because of what they see across the convention hall. We wanted that same thing for Battletech. I get Frankly that. speaking, 
paper mats and uh, cardboard standees were not doing it for us. <laughs> and, hey, and and there are people that that is that is what BattleTech is. And you know what? It, good for you. And if you enjoy that, please get out and do it. For us, we we wanted. Sean, Sean, and I spent some time today at at the source. We played we played that six scenario option, and he made a very valid point in that today's gamer is Zena, right? Alpha Strike, Catalyst, the gaming community is Zena. It's the young kids that are coming up. When you have a tabletop game that has to compete with today's video games in aesthetic and what you're looking at, I I am sorry, Catalyst. I, you all got to wake up because while paper maps have been the thing, that is not the thing that carries Battletech into the future. That is not the thing that captures my 13-year-old daughter to come to the table. If she had to play on a paper map, she'd she wouldn't she wouldn't give it the time of day it's the 3d terrain and it's the beautiful miniatures that's what draws people to the table and i tell you what the other thing which does when we when we label something a premier event like florida was that was a premier event you had to have painted miniatures it was a premier event you had to have painted miniatures so yep. everybody had painted miniatures. Everyone there had painted miniatures. As far we as took I can pictures, see. they're they're all paint. they all the pictures were posted. Well, they're supposed to. There's thirteen. Oh, 16. Well, either way, either way, it makes the game so pretty. I can't tell you how what uh, again. Everyone's painted miniature. We did the parade. If you're not a part of the Facebook group, you should be. I don't know why you're not. But we do a parade every tournament, and we take pictures of everybody's army, and everyone just knocked it out of the park. That's the other thing about I like about the 350. Is like, okay, I got my 350 made. I played tennis a couple times, this and that. I'm going to paint this to the nines. And even if you're the worst painter in the world, you're still going to watch every YouTube, every this, every all the camo spec stuff, and you're going to make sure that your 350 looks fucking amazing. And every single one of those guys' armies looked amazing. And, and, here's, and here's the other part. You had to go acquire the miniatures. You had to, buy, you had to go buy a product. Not only that, but after you've played your 350, after you've played in a tournament, guess what? I promise you, you're going to go buy more shit. Because you're going to find something that didn't work, or you're going to find something that worked really good, and you're like, hey, I'm going to adopt that. And guess what? That means you got to go buy more miniatures. And it, it, it is what it is. We're, we, we started this thing off talking about faction and era. Guess what? That's new armies each time you do it. I I don't know whether Catalyst has something in the works or not that generates product purchase of miniatures like like 350 does. I don't well, know of it. 
but I don't know if you guys maybe. have already told the story that Ray Rastia made the trip down and he was like, well, shit, well, I'm going to, he saw in the store some packs that he wanted to get. <laughs> and he waited too late. And uh, I think he said he waited uh, till lunch break and uh, they're all gone. <laughs> there was a lot there on the shelf. I'm sorry. I thought Battletech was in the selling miniatures business. And uh, I can tell you, uh, there were not a lot of miniatures left on the on the store shelves at ten o'clock at night after the after the tournament was done. There was nothing left. I don't know what well, he started out with, but I know it was a hell of a lot more than what he had left. I know we did good for Critical Hit Games. I know he had good sales from the time that we were there. So let's talk about price support. Wolfnet Radio Podcast is extremely fortunate to have two of the biggest online resellers of Battletech in Ares Games and Miniatures and Fortress Miniatures and Games um, be sponsors of our podcast. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Derek King and to uh, Robert Ash. Guys, I, I call these guys up two, three weeks in advance and say, hey, I got an event. Can I place an order for some prize support? Or what, what, what can you guys do? Never. Has anyone ever said, mm, I don't think so. It is, I almost, there, there, I had uh, Con of the North, then we had Florida, then I had Evercon. I had a big ass box in my hallway that was just prize support from everybody. And Derek sent all of his stuff to Florida and Bobby sent all of his stuff to Florida. I still had a box for just the two little conventions that I did <laughs> of stuff to give away to people. Um, Florida, people we gave... People love, people we love gave getting pri- stuff given away for them. We gave prizes out to 14th place. We had enough stuff that was diverse <laughs> enough to give stuff all the way out to 14th place. First, awesome. place first place got an, uh, a Felder case a box set, an Omni, a tank, a VTOL, and a set of battle armor. And that's not counting. We gave everybody a prize that showed up. Yep, everyone. Uh, this is this is something. This is something I'm I'm very happy with with both Fortress and Ares in that they each give me something to give everyone as their little participation prize, right? Um, I've kind of settled on a format that I think is working really, really well. Um, Ares, uh, we get two pieces of battle armor. And from Fortress, he sends us a koozie. And inside that koozie is two of the Death Ray design um, terrain-featured hex bases. So everyone is getting something cool to take home that integrates into their next 350 because... We know you're going to go home and build another 350 because you just played in a tournament. You're going to go build another one. I know you're going to. Don't lie to me. I know you're going to. Just because we've done it. We've done it weeks, weeks, weeks in advance. We, we Nobody is playing their same 350 for an entire year. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Ooh, next challenge. Somebody played the same 350 for a year. My daughter has for two. My daughter's yeah, well, goes she... to her list. 
has not changed in two years. You should probably tell your daughter maybe that's why she hasn't won one of them. Oh! You know what? You know what? When she's I don't want to be in the room when you tell her that. When she's <laughs> placing in the top five and be the bringer of breaking everybody's shit, then we'll talk. But Saying, she's getting better. It's, ta- it's tactics. It's tactics, and she's she, getting better. She came with really? today. She didn't play. But she came with to listen in on what is the scenario you guys are going to be talking about. And I want to learn something. And she asked questions while we were playing. She's yeah. like, hey, if this is a new scenario and I get a leg up, maybe I'll do better at it when we do play. So she knows what she's doing wrong and she's asking the right questions and she's putting the time in. So I take my hat off to her. She's She wants to get better. And I, I take that back. We did change a couple of battle armor. But oh. the core of her list has remained the same. And she places in the top five every time she plays. So she's doing something right. All right. Well, and so. I think a lot of that though is uh hunting for hunting for your play style. Right? It's it's not necessarily because um I, I know we talk a lot about list building and, and that sort of thing, but there's a reason the the, the reason people that end up at the top of the tournament list isn't necessarily just because they're good at making lists hmm. like we were talking about before they know how to, they know how to, they know how the to play they took. yep exactly yep. so um and i think that that's a a good challenge i i was spoke, speaking with uh one of our past winners before um and he was like you know i really want to just change everything up and just just to try it you know to see if it's me see if it's the the list see see what it is you know um but a lot of times people like learn hey i didn't really enjoy that part of the game and it was my list and i brought it and i can eliminate that from my list so i don't have to play that way anymore um and and try a different tactic so i yeah i think a lot of it's just finding your play style because there um someone in the discord was asking like oh what should i absolutely make sure that i have on my list you know i'm just that's starting such, out that's such a loaded and, question <laughs> right well when, when you know and, and, and we, we we have a very helpful uh uh group of, of folks over in the discord so you know a lot of people are like oh this works this works this works and it was like yeah that all works for you but it, it's you probably want some trans you want you want some infantry or battle armor and a way to transport it and you probably want a few things that have like a tmm of three or four or five well yeah, yeah i mean but I think you, you can't get a tmm of five Be baseline 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 okay but um, baseline but other than that it really depends on how you play you know, like, like you want to make sure that you have stuff to be able to, uh, uh, you know, attack uh, the bunkers and rampage. You want to make sure that you can get to the, the objectives and capture the flag and domination. But really, like, if you want to take fast throwaway units and just, you know, <laughs> run them around it, but really what your play style is, is I march up the middle and blow stuff up, that's Made totally viable. Go for it. Go for it, I, because if if you can get your list to fit the way you play, and also a big part of 350 is place the terrain in such a way that it benefits your style of play, 
then you win. That's Z, that's how you win. Z, Z definitely does know how to play the stuff that she has. <laughs> she <laughs> she does know how to do that. How's her terrain game? <laughs> she sets her terrain up very very well for <laughs> the two for two units in particular that she likes to play as a pair. She does really and, really well. With them. And so it counteracts your opponent. Yep. Well, so um, just to jump onto this, I mean, I know. I, I know I haven't invoked Uncle Mark's name a while in the podcast, but uh, I specifically took, uh, I don't know if a lot of you know that we are doing Thursday Night Throwdown, so we, we live stream a game on our YouTube channel. Subscribe, apparently that's a thing that I'm supposed to say. I don't know. If you do, great. If you don't, I don't care. Um, <laughs> but I... Uh, Specifically knew that Uncle Mark is a grognard. He is not totally 3025, but he loves his his uh, original mechs because he's been playing the game probably longer than most of us have been alive. But um, I took uh, I took uh, a lot of uh, high armor, high structure, no XL engines, a lot of unseen stuff, and I wanted to prove a point that I could win a game or be competitive in a game against some uh, higher edge stuff and uh, I think I did okay I think I messed up on my terrain placement but um, I played Matt in a game and I took and I just hung around it was thank god Andrew gave me those uh, 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 critical hit uh, beads uh, because I had a lot of a lot of luck colored dice on or a lot of colored beads on all of my max but they were still did there get, man did you get the rainbow did you did you get the I, rainbow? i didn't get the rainbow ah. it's hard to get crew stunned <laughs> on a mech <laughs> <laughs> but um that's what i loved about i i discovered this about this is that oh wow 30 25 mechs are really cheap and i could put a lot of them in a list and they have a lot of structure and they got a lot of structure. So they're like, oh, I did seven points of damage. Oh, I got one armor left. <laughs> and six structure. <laughs> when your opponent hears that, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> Matt, you had so. to. Uh, I completely forgot about it by now. That Lost was like it. three conversations ago. Sorry. So we had we had Florida, and we went... We saw, we conquered, we had a great time. Uh, we had great prize support. Again, thank you, Aries, and thank you, Fortress, for outstanding support. Um, and the other got, three, the other three groups in Acker, we need to cover. Uh, so Jay, uh, Acker uh, with Critical Hit Games, he was the host of the event and was fantastic. Um, yeah, did. He took care of us, and I mean, you, you can't. When you have a place that wants you to be there, and they want to help you have a successful event, that makes it so much easier to to do. Um, other three, which which other Matt? Which other ones am I missing? Uh, the other groups uh, sponsored uh, product right off the shelf. The book. And the box sets for oh, uh, Michael Tunia's uh, donated some stuff, and Randall Snyder, I think, donated a book or two. 
to the prize support as well. So, um, which was awesome because that was a both, stack of stuff. Yeah, both of them. I think both of them. Um, uh, Randall Snyder has written a rule book, and Michael Tunia's has actually got a, a ship combat game that he donated. So, um, thank you to those two for for doing that as well. Um, so Daniel Collins walked up and started talking about how he appreciated uh, people coming down and uh, visiting Florida. So he asked uh, several of us to sign his copy of Hour of the Wolf, which was awesome. So that was a cool experience. And a point taken on, if you haven't before, make sure you figure out your signature. your John Hancock. <laughs> figure out your signature. Because I had a hell of a time figuring out what I was going to do for a signature. But it's your signature. uh, Yeah, but do you sign it as your name, your call sign, your combination? Oh, you guys, you guys look too deep into it. (laughs) That one was John Hancock. My name's in the book. I I signed my name. Um, Can we take a pause right now and just say how sexy Andrew looks with glasses on? I mean, I know as a listener, you can't see him right now, but uh, Andrew, you look so sexy in your new glasses. He looks destined for Wolf's Dragoons, uh, Mobile HQ, and a desk job. (laughs) (laughs) So, like normal. It's not even funny, dude. (laughs) Thanks. An hour to throw that one in. (laughs) Thanks. So we so, went to Florida. Um, we got back from Florida. The following weekend, I ran out to Wasu, Wisconsin for Evercon. Um, I had worked with uh, Ron Ploger and Sean Gallagher to uh, run a little 10-person event there. Uh, we had 10 people, four of them considered veteran. Uh, Zena, Sean, Brian, and his son, Sam were our veterans that were there, um, six new people. But again, what was fun there is, is of the six new people that were there, they all realized, oh shit, I'm only an hour away or I'm, you know, two hours away and exchange numbers. And, and I think 350 will be being played in the Wasu, Wisconsin area a little bit more as well, because guess what? People had a good time and got to meet other players and they want to continue to do what it is that we did which was come together and have fun so surprise right um, shocked 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 shocking. <laughs> shocking um but it was interesting because you know a conversation that happened there is is some people made reference to the Appleton group so there's a BattleTech group in Appleton but apparently they only play classic. So as we've done this 350 thing, we find that it's very regional. And there are folks that go both ways, right? They'll play classic and they'll play alpha strike. But there are also lots of places where they're only classic players or we're only alpha strike players, which is great. And I would challenge those groups that for those of you who are one or the other, find a way to get out and experience the other set. It will only enhance your experience of the game 
and the universe and you're going to meet people while you do it. So, I mean, that's, that's the, I think the biggest part we've always said about this is get out and meet people, get out and roll dice. Don't, don't, don't hide behind the computer or don't hide there. Get out, see people, shake hands. I know that we have this thing, this pandemic thing, but we're getting by it. We're getting by it. Speaking of computer play, Oh, I yeah. think I'm really close to uploading the uh, Alpha Strike 350 Tabletop Simulator. You better give a big shout out to uh, Kaji. Kage. Kage. Kaji. 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 Um, yeah, I've taken the immense work that you have done and done like literally 0.25% uh addition to it and hopefully i will be able to release that here soon as a mod downloadable on steam it's crazy i know look at you being all technical and shit just remember to download this podcast this time all right just download this podcast this was my bad this was my bad we called you out to start the show too so okay well it was my bad since you're here, I might as well do it to your face, right? Anyway, I just want to call out Kaji and thank him for the work he's done on TTS. And hopefully soon there'll be a 350 playtest on TTS, which is crazy because I know a lot of people are very interested in, in doing this online because there's a lot of communities out there of one. And uh, we don't want communities of one. We want communities of many. So... All right. And so, speaking of work being done, let's talk about uh, this history brief with Charles Gideon Dirks brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. On this episode of WolfNet History Briefs, the Combine Coordinator, who coordinated more than any coordinator ever has. Hello, WolfNet, and welcome to this installment of WolfNet History Briefs, where we look at what happened this month in the Battletech timeline. I'm Gideon. Here we go. Today, we will be looking at one of, if not the most influential leader of the Draconis Combine. Trying to condense a powerful ruler's entire life into a single event to fit the brief format is usually a challenge. Thankfully, this time, many of the notable moments occur during the month of February. We will begin on the 10th of February, 2496, on the planet Rosselhag. A child is born to the young Ilyana Sorensen, heir apparent to the Duchy of Rasselhag. The new member of the family was named Siriwan, and no one had any way of knowing that this newborn would go on to unite a nation and be one of the most powerful heads of state the Inner Sphere would ever know. You see, Siriwan's father was, as far as any could tell, a simple mech warrior turned diplomat sent from New Samarkand to broker an alliance with the independent Principality of Rasselhag, unknown to nearly anyone was that this emissary, Martin McAllister, was a descendant of Shiro Kirita, founder of the Draconis Combine. If the name rings a bell, it should. Martin McAllister famously led the eponymous McAllister Rebellion, which ended the Von Rohr family's terror and paranoia-driven reign of the Combine in a bloody and brutal coup. Martin then used his genealogy to place himself at the top of the Draconis hierarchy, becoming the 10th coordinator of the Combine. Only a few years later, Martin was murdered, leaving Siriwan, now 19, 
as the only blood heir to the throne. This strange girl, who the royal court on New Samarkand viewed as little more than a country bumpkin princess, was now the coordinator. Well, sort of. Technically, she was made brevet coordinator because the combine nobility couldn't stomach the idea of a woman leading the nation. As time passed, there were rumblings in the court about Siriwan not putting her talents to use in raising an heir. A not-so-subtle implication that unless she found a suitable husband, and soon, there would be a different Kurita bloodline on the throne. Warren Kurita, a very distant cousin, with clear genetic connections to the ruling family, was just the man she needed. He was on planet to receive an award, and he was infatuated immediately with Siri One. It appeared that fate had stepped in to keep Siri One in power, but careful examination shows that Warren was the only man who met the criteria for the award in all Combine space. What the elite viewed as a stroke of luck had been a carefully orchestrated move. A few days after their meeting, Warren and Siri One married making him the new coordinator, and only ten months later they welcomed a son into the world. The 13th of February, 2516, Hihiro Kurita was born and was named heir apparent on the 20th. Siriwan became more distant toward Warren and focused on raising their child. Warren, however, began to flounder without the steadying hand of Siriwan at his side. After a year of this, it was suggested that the young family take a vacation for the good of the young coordinator's mental health. But it wasn't his mental health that should have been of concern. On the 9th of February, 2517, Warren Kurita died. Siriwan and the first doctor on scene blamed his death on shellfish. An official investigation ruled the death to be, quote, mysterious, but pursued it no further. People finally began to question if perhaps they had underestimated the young woman, but by then, it was too late. They had played into her hand, and with the heir apparent and infant, Siriwan was again made coordinator. Well, sort of again, because she was officially listed as regent coordinator. Views on women rulers hadn't changed much over the last year. Finally, in February of 2518, Siriwan's year of grieving ended and she fully took the reins of the nation. With each passing year, she gained sway in the courts and established herself as a diplomatic and determined leader, which kept her on the throne for four decades before finally handing power to her son. Hihiro, undoubtedly under Siriwan's guidance, would go on to join his realm with the Star League and lead the nation during the Reunification War. A freak accident brought his reign to an end, and his son Leonard took the throne. Leonard was temperamental and disgraced himself before his peers on the Star League's Grand Council when he killed a guard. As he led his nation tumbling toward a ruinous war against the entire Star League, he mysteriously died, much like Warren nearly a century before. His son, Blaine, became coordinator for a short while until he died from a pre-existing heart condition. Now you may be wondering why I've touched on this path of succession in House Karita. Well, the answer is simple. Because after Blaine's death in 2605, the next coordinator was none other than Siriwan, at the age of 109. And on this occasion, the third time of helming the nation, no one dared place an adjective before the title coordinator. Securing her place as Lady Kirita, she ruled for only two years before abdicating the throne to her granddaughter. Cynthia. 
This time, the courts did not question a woman on the throne or underestimate her abilities. This is Gideon signing off, and remember, those who fail to learn from history are doomed. And that was Charles Gideon Dirks with this history brief, uh, brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. Welcome back to Thank the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Charles. Uh, and anyways, <laughs> rules changes. Oh, right. these are big ones. These are big ones. This is a big list of, uh-oh, we got to change stuff again because it's broken. Spaghettios. My favorite was in my matches at Florida, being charged by vehicles, hovercraft specifically, and destroying at least one of my mediums and half of another one. And they took like hard, uh, no damage. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, right. Woohoo. Well, <laughs> and to be clear, the, the rules that we're, we're going over are all um, found in the errata section on the Battletech forums, which is not necessarily an official uh, thing. It's it's usually the rough draft of errata before it goes into the errata books or the errata yeah. PDFs and stuff. So um, just a, keep that in mind before you start busting this out at games. Make sure that everybody's on the same page or um, as I've said, well, I said before, wow, oh, um, this whole re-recording thing is messing with my brain. Um, <laughs> Me too. Me too. Do you feel like you're saying yeah. the same things over again? Oh, totally. Oh. Deja vu all day. <laughs> um, no, so oh if, if you are or if you are hosting an event or something, make sure you post in there what parts of any errata you're using, just so that way people don't show up not knowing if you're using the official published errata, anything off the you know uh, off the forums, whatever. But yes, yes. Um, so they just. Uh, Kestrel, NC Kestrel over at uh, uh, Alpha Strike posted a new charge attack rule where instead of well, okay, so the old rule was it would be your movement well, movement-ish size time it, size time it was a, divided by eight. distance moved right, well, because, and, and that was a little bit of a gray area, so I think that this is probably something that's been looked at for a long time, because the uh, distant moved, well, it's Alpha Strike, so I can move as far as I want in whatever direction I want, and right, is it the distance between the units? What am I supposed to be measuring? Um, but yes, so it, it was size times move effectively divided by eight. And you would take one damage if you were charging a unit that was heavy or assault, or size three or four, to keep it in Alpha Strike terms. Um, and if you charged something that was size one or two, you took no damage. And, and go ahead. And I had a hell of a time congratulating my opponent. Like, that's a, you're going to charge me and I'm going to probably get destroyed? That is fucking awesome. Like, good job. Way to do something fun. Because even if I lost a mech, it was some cool action on the board that that was fun well we uh we we brought this up i mean let's let's be honest we it's been ongoing we, for a while we uh <laughs> just let, let, let me let me put this in terms okay since december of last year since curl sisters a go-go i 
with you guys to the vast majority of them. We, we have already we have already overseen over 140 games of Alpha Strike. Let me restate that. Since December of last year, I have personally ran 140 games of Alpha Strike. I thought it was 300. Let's just say we've seen some shit. Okay. Um, yep. The charging attack is one of those things that has never really sat well. And we started a conversation. Um, I have never liked the fact that no matter what you do, you don't, I mean, if you don't hit something big enough, you don't take any damage. That's bullshit. A Savannah master hitting a wasp at 120 miles an hour is going to come apart. There's, <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think that what anyone can argue the fact that a Savannah master is going to hit anything and be able to hit something else at the same speed and, and do the same off. amount. It's just, it's not feasible. So we started having a conversation about charging and I, I personally, I really think what Nicastro came up with is very elegant. Um, it takes, Ooh. takes a lot of math out of the equation. Um, it is much more straightforward and I like, I like the fact that a charge is now a last ditch effort for some of these smaller missile hovercraft, Savannah masters, Gabriel swift winds. You get one in that, that feels better. That fits the game. Um, IE in hour of the wolf. Savannah master charges a Visigoth or aerospace fighter on the ground, you know, destroys the front landing gear, but gets crushed. Makes sense. It didn't yep. survive. Right. <laughs> and that was hitting landing gear on an aircraft, not a yeah. mech. And we so, will remember that seventh commando forever. <laughs> His so, name was Charles. <laughs> Charles it wasn't. I was still alive after that. Charles, yeah, you probably like, are alive. He was probably like Steve or George or something. So, Charles, why don't you go into what was the elegantness of how how we're going to do charging attacks? All right, yeah. So, well, and, and again, like this is a, the way it's written on the forum. So, uh, usually there's like a little bit of refinement, or you know, before it hits the PDF that gets released. But uh, uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot of room to, for refinement because it is uh, cha the charging unit's damage is equal to its size plus half its TMM rounded down. So a size three unit with TMM three would deal four damage with a successful charge. And as far as taking damage, um, if the charge attack is successful, the attacking unit also suffers half its TMM rounded down in damage plus one point of damage if its target is size three or higher. This does not count as an attack by the target unit. So, yeah, I'll let you guys discuss. I just read that, so. Uh, during the discussion, you know, the biggest, the one of the things that Joshua brought up was an urban mech and a dasher charging an atlas. One is going to come out better than the other, right? <laughs> an, urban, an urban mech traveling 30 kilometers an hour, being an urban mech, is probably going to hit and bounce off. A dasher 
traveling at 160 kilometers an hour hitting the same immovable mass is probably not going to come out very well. So what I, I really thought the using half TMM rounded down as a as a damage back was a very elegant and straightforward solution to solving the problem. Also, from a judging standpoint, it eliminates a lot of table talk. Yep. It because originally it was inches moved, and you're like, well, he was one inch away from me. How is he going to do this? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, a Lamborghini goes zero to 60 pretty fucking fast. Where did you start um, from? Where did you end? Yeah, if you wanted me to do it, okay, fine. I'll move all the way over here and all the way over here and then all the way over here, and then I could charge you. And I did a split S. It Remember, Alpha Strike is a reduction of the complexity that is classic to make a game playable within a certain amount of time. Another another anti another antidote of that was at Evercon I had an individual running a regulator and his critical hit on a regulator was a two guns too which is an ammo explosion. And he's like, Oh, well, nothing happens because it's cost ammo, right? And I'm like, mm, Nope, not in this game. Ammo hit is an ammo hit. Whether it's Goss ammo or not, it's an ammo hit. That means it's your ammo or it's the Goss rifle, right? If it makes you feel better. Yeah. One of those things blew up and you're done if you don't have case. Needless to say, the individual was less than pleased, but <laughs> it was it was one of the, it was the instance of this is a different this is one of the differences of the game. Show me on the card that you're playing with that Goss ammo doesn't blow up. Show me in the rule book of Alpha Strike that Goss ammo doesn't blow up. It's an extrapolation of the complexities of classic stripped down so that we can play games, big games, in an hour. We trade some, we lose some, we gain some. So... I like that analogy. <laughs> well, but, yeah, but I think that it makes that's... sense. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big hurdles that people that have been playing classic or total warfare um, for a long time, that I think that's where they get themselves hung up is because they know exactly what this unit carries because they've been running. This is their favorite unit. They've been running it for 25 years. And then something in alpha strike doesn't jive perfectly with their understanding of that unit. Um and, and that is a hurdle. And I, I think it's a, as a, as a total warfare player coming to alpha strike, you have to step back and treat it like a new system, read the rule book, because a lot of the rules are going to make total sense to you, but you have to step back and learn the rules as though it's a new game. Would you it, characterize that as a disconnect between the system of the game compared to their own sense of reality? We're doing this <laughs> next episode. No, oh, but but right. uh, but that's a uh, yeah. No, that's just a, a short aside. Um, for for people like Alpha Strike is a very easy game to pick up, <clears> in <throat> my opinion. Um, and the thing that's going to get in people's way is the information they already know about the about the universe. That's going to cause them the most headache. 
this 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 doesn't make sense with my sense of the universe. We've kind of settled charge. What's next? The two that I liked, uh, um, I, the the one easy one was X Mech. Um, X Mech was never clarified that if X Mech mounted an Omni, that the Omni mm. would not suffer the minus two inches of move. That has cleared. The next thing that I was excited to see changed was some more clarification on stacking and for us um, requiring all the mechs to be on a base. There was conversation around Bases? how much, how much, you know, if I only have an inch to go between a hill and my opponent's mech standing in between two hills that are two inches apart, can I go through that space? And with the clarification that we have now, your base of the unit that you're playing needs to fit through the area that you're traveling for. Otherwise, you violate stacking. I'm very pleased and very happy to have this clarification. We had this happen more than a couple of times during the tournament. Um, this is this clarifies it. Again, it's very straightforward. Your base needs to be able to travel through. The other reason for this also is protomex, right? In Boom. the game, three protomex can lock in a mech. So for those of you who like playing protomex, you find a mech that can't jump and move your protos first and lock them in place. It's a valid move, valid tactic. If just you can pull it off. For, just be prepared for physical attack. Cool. Yep. And bring it, tissues. It, yeah, from your opponent. <laughs> bring the aloe vera. Seriously. Uh, it's it's going to make you feel bad. You're like, so, I can't move anywhere? Oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to stay still. And, and not only, so as far as the stacking goes, because I think that's also a good clarification as far as... Um, like with 350 because the terrain is different every game it's not set up in a um there's an inch and a quarter around every elevation change for easy you know easy uh easy travel so it clears up that well i can't just because i can squeak around the edge of this elevation change and there might be like a half inch there i can't say I'm on that like that elevation one. I need to either go down or go up because my base can't fit in there. Exactly. Now we have we have ruled it or we have played it that if you're on an edge and your mech stands on the edge, right? So you might have a quarter of it hanging off, or you know, an edge or a corner of it. We've allowed that in the past. I suppose now with this clarification, that does not hold anymore. Well, the clarification actually states that a mech can be half on level one, half on level zero. It's just not two inches. It's if there is only one it, inch between two three inch high elevation changes, units cannot fit between the two at ground level. This would break the movement rules for elevation change and is prohibited terrain. Similarly, a unit must be legally able to cross all terrain its base occupies. A mech can stand on a slope that is two inches high because 
mechs can move across an elevation with a change of two inches per two inches traveled. A mech Correct. cannot stand or move through where its base occupies both a zero inch elevation and a three inch elevation as a three inch elevation change is prohibited terrain for mechs. So the half so hex on is still a legal placement. Yes. Yep. If there's an inch okay. between a level one and a level two, you can still traverse that because it's not three inches high. It is only one inch or two inches high. Okay. Well, so yeah, so I will redact what I earlier said earlier. That's... But again, but but either way, either way, this is a good clarification. That's really um, fun. Judges yes. ruling with a measuring stick. Well, well, I think it's pretty simple. If if there's like a half an inch on level one, and you say, "Well, I move through there to get from this side of you know the hill onto that side of the hill," and I don't want to spend the the move to go up or down, I just want to skirt the side. Well, then you just set your mini on there, and if it falls over and breaks, then it, oh, I guess you can't do that. <laughs> right. Agreed. That's I, exactly how I'd handle it. Can you can you how... stand your mech? along the path that you're going. If you can, you can make that move. I would say that if your mech is ending their movement there. No, but your base if, has if to, your mech... base has to your base has to fit on the on the on the path being traveled. Ooh, I like that. That's that's the whole point of th of 3D terrain. That's how the rules should have been written. Maybe they but, can be. Well, again, this is draft and and we're talking I know. But we're oh. talking through the different things. I mean, the new charge it, rules. There's if it fits the ships. If it doesn't, get the fuck off the table. My <laughs> big thing is if you're on a level zero, your base has to be able to move through an open space. Yes, that's my big takeaway. And as a judge, if your base can't, if your mini can't stand on that, I would rule that no, you have to go down. Um, right on. Are oh, you guess up, Dirks? <laughs> oh no, I, I was just gonna say the the other important piece is restricted <laughs> terrain. So going back to that, if if there's trees and you're running a hovercraft, your mini has to fit through there. Um, because what what I wouldn't what I would hovercraft, not want to see happen. Can't go through trees. Right, but if there's like a one inch gap and you're like, oh, I'm just going to travel from here to here. Because what I would hate to see is somebody moves their unit and then after they move their unit, their opponent says, you can't do that. That's an illegal move. You went through restricted terrain. Therefore, your hovercraft is destroyed, right? Like just be be mindful so you can avoid any of those situations because I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to be on either side of that table. Don't be a dick. Just point out to your opponent, dude. You're, you're you're transversing prohibited terrain. Is that something you really want to do? And if the person says yes, then you, hey, it's clear the outcome is if you do that in a hovercraft, that unit is destroyed. <clears throat> and that's easy. Okay, I don't want to do that. I mean, we had that happen right. a couple of times with Sean. They have to move back. So, yeah, they got to yeah. move back and choose another path. Well, no, and, and and I'm not saying like uh, 
that would be the optimal way of handling it but i could definitely see <laughs> or or like you get done with with everybody's move and then you go wait a second how did he get there you know just be mindful don't go through prohibited terrain all right so the big change the massive change big massive change what i think is probably the best change yeah in my own I, I, my own opinion I agree. I agree with you as well. Um, this is this is really due to um, abuse. Isn't the right word, but <laughs> battle armor and infantry have shown to be more powerful than than they should be. More um, powerful than assault battle max. Specifically, when you're pairing assault squad six battle armor and putting them on hover transports that move, you know, 16 inches. Uh, being able to move 13-point damage units 16 inches across the table is too much. That that breaks the game. So as a <clears throat> proposal uh, to, to help alleviate some of that, um, a, a transport may not mount or embark and dismount or disembark units in the same turn. Once a transport has mounted or embarked units, it may not dismount or disembark any units that turn. And once a transport has dismounted or dis disembarked units, it may not mount the same turn. The unit may not mount and dismount in the same turn either. So it's saying things a couple of, you know, see, saying the same thing three different ways, but wanting to make sure that we got it covered. You cannot mount a unit, move, and dismount in the same turn, period. Because it's way too awesome. It's very powerful. Um, so now, as Charles has pointed out, and I have seen in the games that we've played with this rule, the deployment of your infantry becomes extremely important. Not only that, but infantry become what I think their intended role was is either taking an objective or being area denial, which is, I think, a, a, a good place to push them to. Um, I know the mounting and dismounting of infantry in a single turn has been kind of a hallmark of 350 this will change things quite a bit. I think they'll still have a place on the table and still have a function, but the deployment and use of them is going to be much more interesting during the game. It's a Highlander. Yeah, no, and, and I've been not not exactly this uh, rule um but in, in my own home games i've been running um can't can't mount and dismount in the same turn um just because i i felt like it went against the whole idea of a transport if every turn you got to unload for free um and then load for fr essentially for free because the cost goes to the infantry so they pay their two to get back on and you uh, fly off again 
um, and it makes situations much more interesting. They're going back to a previous part of our conversation of uh, playing the objectives. Um, I straight up lost a round of rampage because I unloaded my infantry to get a back shot on a mech. Um, because I was in the middle of the board, seemed like a great opportunity at the time, unloaded, blasted the mech. But by the time I reloaded my infantry and then took off with them, I had to wait another turn to unload them again, which then time ran out. So I went from, I, I took my eye off the prize, just like we were talking about earlier of you have to keep your eye on what is the objective. Taking out that mech, not necessary. Getting over to the bunker and taking that out, that was, that was what I should have been focused on. So it's very much more a strategic decision. It's much more of when I deploy my infantry, it's got to count. At least that's been my experience so far with my own home games with it. I've enjoyed it. it it's a it's a it's a good change and one that adds more tactics and strategy to your deployment of and, and how you're going to use them. So I think it's a I I personally really like it. I think it's a it's a, a good update. Um, some people will use the term nerf, but I think this actually puts infantry back to where they're supposed to be, not the all-powerful thing on the table. Um, I have had a couple of folks come up with, <clears throat> um, you know, the new charge attack. Well, how does that how does that work with DFA? And particularly Sean because he likes his Phoenix Hawk 2C DFA guy. Um, <laughs> the way it works is I think he goes from dealing seven and receiving. He went from dealing seven and receiving four to dealing five and receiving perhaps five back, depending upon what he hits. Or four which makes sense. Hits. Which, I mean, it makes sense, but he's like, you would never DFA if that's the case. And I'm like, last well, ditch effort. It's a it's a last dish effort. If I have a wasp that had a weapon hit, maybe I'm going to try a DFA with him. Crash in. I mean, that's an automatic crit if I hit for a a 15 point mech that can't shoot. Sure. I'm rolling. I'm I'm going to take a chance and see whether I get something cool out of it. That's the effect. That's that's what it's supposed to be. So it. If it's an if it's an eighty eighty five tonner that's doing it every single turn and killing max, that's broken. I'm sorry, the whole argument of well, I would never do it then is the exact reason the rules should be in place. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and to speak to your uh, example, <laughs> Andrew, because in uh, Battle for the Sphere, um, uh, my buddy uh, Kincaid. Um, he was running an Oscout, and in two of his games, he managed to get a weapons hit against the Oscout and not die. <laughs> but both times, he managed to pull off a successful DFA to kill an enemy mech and die in the attempt. So Perfect. that's what DFA is that's for, right? Perfect. 
That's that worked exactly the way it's supposed to work out. Then I'm sorry, but charge and DFA are a last ditch effort. Maybe once or twice, but after that, it, it you should be. When I mean the the uh, Mongol plot, doctrine, plot armor, the Mongol doctrine, uh, Jade Falcons were definitely into DFAs, but I get that. That's but 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 again, that that is also a part of <laughs> bad like. It, it their strategy is that essentially strategy. bad the, the, yeah the, the mongol doctrine falcons their their strategy is bad tactics we're just going to run at you and throw ourselves at you and try to kill you by any means necessary until you die or we do which dfa totally fits right in there but it's again like in game terms like going by classic yeah you have a one in six chance of hitting them in the head you could take you know kill the pilot and your pilot's still alive but that's not really tabletop wise how you want to. That's not a. That's not a feel good. That's not a feel good game. Yep. <laughs> okay. Right. So, well, that I mean that that covers a lot of the the Rules? bigger rule changes that we've heard of and and been a part of, and we're actually fairly excited about all of them. They are all make the game better fixes things and makes the game better that's was, that's was the, name there of the a... game that that is something that you know we did kick around that i mean the clans developed mechanized battle armor as rapid deployment there there is i believe there's a strong case to be made that mechanized battle armor on an omni equipped unit should be able to mount and dismount in the same turn because mm. that is what that was. Mm. I wouldn't uh, do that. What? I wouldn't do that. I would say if uh, if you are mechanized and you're on an Omni specialized mech, you should be able to move after you dismount. Okay. Okay. I mean, that'd be an interesting uh, bonus for running that combo over uh, your, your running IT. The TMM? To, to get you from medium range to short range, maybe? Right. Run in with your dasher with battle armor hanging on, and they're like, all right, go get that guy. Well, and they're I able to move their 6J off of the back. I doubt it would be with a dasher. It'd probably be with like a well, medium whatever. or a heavy. Well, probably be with like a like, medium or a heavy omni. What I'm saying okay. is that I think there okay. should be a, there should be a positive omni mech is supposed to deliver battle armor to the battlefield. I I don't agree with them having the option to dismount and mount back up. That is, I feel like an elemental. Like oh, I'm gonna jump off. Oh shit, I gotta jump back on. That that doesn't seem right to me. No, that's the first time you said that, and that makes sense. I like that. Huh. For for another reason of it separates the infantry from their transport. That like would make the omnis better than the transports. Because right isn't that what the clans did? They yeah. rode on, they rode on, rode on, okay, there's the battle. I'm off. Yeah. I kinda like that. That because I mean, one of the arguments that that we've had back and forth with on this is, oh well, no one will take infantry now. I and still would. 
I'm still going to. I, I, I still think that they have a, a valid purpose on the battlefield. Oh, but very much so. They, and beyond they Rampage. Now, and they yes. are now Good only point, on the Gideon. board half the time. But in the games that we've played it this way, all of a sudden I have elemental battle armor hopping around causing mayhem. And my opponent had an urban assault infantry that are still extremely deadly and hard to kill on the field, not mounted, not being moved. They just, they were in this area. And if you went into that area, get prepared for two damage and two heat. That sucks. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to go over there or I'm going to limit what they can shoot at. It adds another element to the game, which is a good thing. I, I like had an the example. Idea of Omni and being able to move. I like that. I think that's, that's, we should explore that. BA being on the ground is, is, is a fun unit anyways. And with I an never want to take that away. One of my last games of Florida, I had gnomes that were on their own on an objective for capture the flag. And they lost their Omni mech and destroyed an enemy viper but got knocked out by i think a some kind of vtol but they were toting the flag down the field trying to get back to the home base and they were just rolling extremely oh. good dice and <laughs> like that, doing that... A mogadishu mile huh right exactly <laughs> black hawk down i like that which i think should be a thing and, and uh bloodbath to your earlier question about VTOLs. So the um there is a clarification out about measuring range, um, which I think is basically directed directly towards VTOLs. Um, because the original rule stated to measure the distance from edge of attacker's base to edge of target space, um which you're supposed to because the VTOL is obviously on the table regardless of its elevation, but you have to treat it like you're supposed to treat it like it's like five, however many inches in the air. Um, but they've changed that rule to hold the measuring tape or other measuring tool over the hexes and measure the horizontal distance. So that's a clarification where VTOL range is determined from the minis on the table, whereas line of sight would still be determined from wherever it is up in 3d space yep. which, which i'm fine I, with i had a picture i mean i had a picture of sam he had a he had a sprint helicopter at level 20 <laughs> at, at evercon that had his tape up and i almost had to go find him a step stool so he could get high enough to look down at that level to see whether he had line of sight and you know the next thing you know there is so now you want me to have two measuring sticks i got to have one that tells me how high it is, and now Very I'm gonna cool. have somebody hold that to go there, and, I, and horizontal. Now, all, now all of a sudden you're all elbows to try and figure out what the distance is to a VTOL. And plus, plus is that is that level two axes? I again, it's just it, it, it creates long. more prob it creates more problems of just logistics, distance from, just distance from hexes and call it a day. Yeah, it's I super just, super and, easy. And that's yeah. and that's what they came to because I mean, right? You're talking right you're talking on a ninety degree angle 
on that <clears> distance, the horizontal before you start going up, it's not enough to worry about. And even even when I saw the tape measure, I'm like, is that tape measure ninety degree vertical well, from the from the horizontal of the table? And it's just like it creates more problems. Yeah, you know, it's it's easier the way it used to be. What I found humorous from that picture is like, you know what? He's giving up short range to be able to see everything. <laughs> right, right, right. Line of sight. Yeah. And what's more beneficial? And I love that we're testing these things, even if it's just like ridiculously out of the realm of realistic. At least we're testing getting data. All right. So is that enough with the rules? I think so. Let's move on to upcoming events. Remembering Rasselhog March the 26th. Um, no, but so uh, the follow-up for Battle for the Sphere uh, at uh, Inconceivable Games in Castle Rock, Colorado is Remember Rasselhag. Um, that will be on the 26th Saturday. Um, there will be Alpha Strike as well as Classic Played. Um, Matt has been doing a great job putting this together. Not our Matt, Matt out here. Um, he's been doing a great job that... Um, and then like David and Mike and all them guys are doing a great job setting everything up. I am expecting another wonderful event getting together with those guys and rolling dice is always a lot of fun. Um, and this is a faction era restricted uh, tournament. Um, it's all gotta be clan invasion. You have to pick your faction. I will be bringing my gray death legion, which is way easier to convert to clan invasion than my wolves in exile were because my wolves in exile were set up to be jihad and um gray death is set up to be uh civil war era so there's just a there's a lot less adjustments to be made so <laughs> it'll be fun i'm th there is at least one other gray death legion player so i hope i don't have to fight them because trying to keep our mini straight is gonna suck well just have different tmm dice but but if his minis are nicer looking than mine, I might accidentally on purpose swap him. I don't right? know. Right? Flip the right? table. Like, this one's mine. <laughs> no, I appreciate Rasslehog. Because there goes Spare Dominion. Ghost Spare right. became Rasslehog Dominion. Get it straight. Events. However you want to mishmatch. So, Rubble on the River coming up, Jenny, ladies and gentlemen. Rumble on the River event. It will be April 23rd. I have secured a conference room at a hotel. We will be playing at the Hilton Garden Inn in Davenport, Iowa. Um, I will get that all sorted out tomorrow morning and get a post up on Facebook tomorrow morning being Monday morning and uh, get a code up and, and block of rooms and the whole thing. So um it's shaping up to have more than i expected um i think we're going to be pushing close to 20 which is fantastic awesome um yeah i'm i'm really excited for this event again um so yeah that's it i got a we got a long running deal on on the facebook page uh for those of you that are going to attend um i need to call this may I did, this may be I did a, talk, this may go ahead this may be a fun streaming because since Aaron will have to be absent, I'll have to stream. I gotta be in a wedding. <laughs> Which is usually Aaron is absent because of a wedding. 
Yeah, air quotes. I don't know what the big deal is. People have those all the time nowadays. Yeah, silly <laughs> weddings are stopping. No, so uh, just uh, clarify, because you said it will be at the Hilton Garden, because there, there, I think your last post on Facebook was there might have been another contender for yeah, location. Yeah, the, the, the Double Tree sent me uh, a quote for uh, room space and that kind of thing, and it is a beautiful hotel. And they actually did uh, a really nice job on the conference room, but the hotel rooms for 50 bucks more a night. And that was a little steep. We would rather, take. we would rather save you money. How come you said no, so I went to Florida too? So yeah. is, this the, <laughs> is this the, wait, in Davenport or Bettendorf? Mm, mm, Hilton, mm. Hilton. I'm I thought sorry. you said Bettendorf, Bettendorf before. Bettendorf. I'm sorry. Hilton Garden in Bettendorf. Quad oh City. shit. Okay, no, I was just, I was looking at that post, uh, and I was like, wait a second, I just need, I want to make sure we're getting the right information. Oh my god, people. I will, I'll get it all, I, I will get it all posted on the Facebook page. Why well, not? But, 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 but then it's, it, it's like, uh, it's like a Sarna <laughs> post where people are like, what's more canon, what they said on the podcast, or what they put on the Facebook page, <laughs> what's more <laughs> accurate and legal, what am I supposed to follow? Oh, so many questions. Well, the, we are going to the Hilton Garden in Bettendorf Quad Cities at 959 Middle Road, Bettendorf, Iowa, 52722. Telephone number 563-265-2121. I talked to Miriam, their event coordinator, and she was awesome. There. Does that cover enough? Of that covers at? everything. Thank no, you. No, no, no. Shout out to Miriam. <laughs> Do we have the Wi-Fi list number code? Yeah, I'll get, that. I'll get that when I walk in the door. Are they gonna have the disconnect lights to try to figure out which fucking? Never mind. Oh no, that, that from Clinton when we were trying to find the wire. Yeah. And moving along, we got some shout-outs coming up. Uh, Andrew, do you have some shout-outs for us? Oh my God, do I have shout-outs? Um, <laughs> you have a plethora. I have a drink. Strap, strap wow. in. So first and foremost, I'm going to give a shout out to Derek King and Bobby uh, Ash at uh, our sponsors for the great tournament support that they give us. Um, we we are able to swag a lot of stuff at our tournaments to these More guys. More than anybody. And it is awesome. Thank you, both of you, for your continued support. Um, I want to give a shout out to Jason Acker, owner and operator at Critical Hits Games for hosting the heat level critical event in Florida. He has a fantastic facility. Great dude. Um, you want to do something, give him a shout. He will bend over backwards to help you make that happen. Um, I love my new coffee cup. Yeah. Can't say enough good stuff about that place. Um, oh, great, place great people. Great people. Um, give a shout out to Bradley Prophet and Ronald Baker for drumming up the, the support and the excitement for the Florida event. Um, and new trainees. They in, yeah, they put in a lot of time to get everybody ready to go. And that event went so well because they they got everybody prepared. So thank you for that. Um, uh, Sean Gallagher and Ron Plugger for getting the Evercon event organized and then uh, just sending me information, and they were nice enough to pick up my hotel 
Um, I just showed up, ran the Ooh. event, and it was great. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, everybody seemed to enjoy themselves, and it sounds like 350 will be being played in that area some more as well. Um, all right, so next up, um, Alaskander Copel, or the nickname Kentaro. I think we all saw, um, if you're active on Facebook in Classic Battletech, I had a uh, Kentaro posted a po- uh, made a post about some of the action that's been happening in Kiev and related that to his his Battletech group that has turned into family. Um, they have been there for each other. Uh, they're calling each other. They're making sure everyone's okay. Um, to me, personally, it's like the epitome of what your gaming group should be. Um, they, I, I, I don't know how to say it better than they, they're family and they're, they're really looking out for each other, checking up on each other and helping, helping them through the events that are happening in that area. So, um, I just wanted to give a shout out that that's what community is about. So anybody else, nothing to that one. Um, I got an alibi on that. Um, back in 0304, when I was stationed overseas in deployment, um, I ran with a Ukrainian RCBD 19th separate battalion out of the Ukrainian. They were awesome people. So, uh, when you use a translator to draw pictures or speak a different language, you're all the same people fighting the good fight. Hoping for peace. That's what we hope for. All right. Anybody else? Charles? Okay. We'll do Andrew last. Charles? Uh, Yeah, no, uh, my shout-outs are uh, uh, Derek, um, ironically, call-signed War Crimes. Um, (laughs) You you might know him from... uh, uh, his work over on uh, on the origins of Battle Mechs, um, but he's been doing a stellar job of uh, keeping everyone apprised of and helping make sense of what's going on overseas. Um, the Colorado Gaming Crew, the amount of uh, organizing and everything that they've been doing um, for this upcoming event is, I mean, I... I, I'm totally just a lurker. You know, I watch what they're doing and I'm, I'm in awe. So um, I'm looking forward to Saturday getting together and rolling dice with all them guys, like I said. Um, and last one, which is a fresh shout out. This isn't the same shout out I did last week um, to uh, Valkyrie and Outlaw. Um, I ran into some issues with uh, painting my. Uh, Battlemaster Canopy, I threw it up and I begged for help and those two fellows went above and beyond. I mean, like doing uh, editing on the in, of the photo to show what it would look like with different things. Like it, I was mind blown. Um, so those, those two really uh, helped give me the confidence to push my painting. Um, and right now I'm looking at that Battlemaster Canopy and I am 1000% glad that I asked you guys for help because you're your uh, tips were spot on. It looks amazing. So thanks to you guys. All right, Andrew, we have uh, for whom the bell tolls. So hopefully I can get through this. Um, 
we lost an individual this last week. Um, Craig Goolidge unexpectedly passed away. Um, Craig was a pillar of the Gen Con community. Um, he was the XO for Battletech Miniatures. Uh, he was an individual that I look forward to seeing and, and, and talking with at Gen Con every year. Um, we had the fortunate and unfortunate at the same time uh, chance to play Craig and um, Augustine in a Masters and Minions game. Um, as I've posted on Facebook, we really had no business playing that game because we got our asses handed to us for that game. Um, <laughs> Which is awesome. It was it was tough. Uh, that is where we got the uh, Augustine coined uh, friendship missiles because he threw a lot of missiles at us with his longbow. Um, and they, they taught us a lot about walking and shooting. Yeah, it was it was an experience. Um, Craig was uh, he was a, a big man. Uh, he was kind of an intimidating individual uh, if you just looked at him, but he had a heart of gold and he was always looking out for others and ensuring that your con experience was the best he could possibly make it. Um, Big teddy bear. He was an amazing individual. Uh, well, <laughs> I think that same year that we had the Masters of Minion game, I won't forget, he uh, was at the front table, and I was, I, th I don't know if we were doing the cadet game or whether I was just passing we through. He uh, called me over to the the top table, the, the the entry table, and he goes, "I gotta show you something. I just need somebody to share my pain." And he opens a box, and there's, I want to say, a company of mechs in a various state yeah. of disarray uh, that was handled by the baggage claim dudes that completely busted the shit out of like twelve mechs that were needed for an event that he volunteered to paint for so he was gluing <laughs> them back together trying to make him look as good as he could he was gluing stuff back <laughs> together and borrowing paint from people trying to get them back together and looking decent you know because i think these were max people were going to take home and you know oh yeah took pride in making sure that people were happy with and we bring home so we sat there um, uh sharing some uh army veteran stories with each other too yeah it's been uh Last late last week was a really tough tough couple of days. Um, wanted to shout out James Miller for uh, putting together the virtual wake. Uh, you know it's always terrible when we have a friend pass away, but at the same time we had 40 people join in a Google Meet and we got to share stories. And he will be remembered. So uh, tonight. Remember forever so tonight um we'll be uh signing off with uh any comments concerns you can reach us at wnrp at wallstreetguns.com youtube discord patreon facebook um wolfnet radio qbstores.com home and uh we'll bid you good night and a pleasant tomorrow owl for craig oh. Woof.